So our reading this evening is from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 to 24. And that's page 359 of the Church Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 18. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognised him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. 
I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And uh, let me pray as we begin. Father God, thank you that Jesus Christ, our Saviour, is risen indeed. And thank you that now by his Spirit you are present with us. And so speak to us this evening, we pray in his name. Amen. If you were to ask a young child what football team they supported, and they'd probably tell you the football team that is currently top of the league. Uh, if they're free from parental influence, that is. <laughs> and if you ask them the following week who they're supporting, they'd probably tell you the team that's top of the league. And if it's changed, their team they follow would have probably changed. Because when you're really small, you want to be associated with the winning team. You want to be on the right side. I've, uh, I've spent the last uh, 24 hours trying to work out if Somewhere in my deepest, darkest past, there's a little bit of Scottish ancestry in me. <laughs> See, like kids, we much more subtly uh, want to follow whatever or whoever we think it's in our best interest to follow. We'll follow whoever or whatever we think will provide for us. That, that is basically what peer pressure is all about, isn't it? Peer pressure compels us to follow certain behaviours so that we might belong. We might belong to the group and be accepted. That's why we follow. We follow what we think will provide. And that's why we follow idols. Uh, if you were here last week, Rob gave us uh, this definition of what an idol is. It's from Tim Keller, and he said this, An idol is, it is anything more important to you than God's, Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. We worship and follow idols because we think they'll provide for us. And every day, in lots of different ways, we are faced with a choice. We're faced with the choice of who or what to follow. Every day we have to make decisions about how we're going to spend our time and our money, how we're going to conduct our relationships or our family, how we're going to work or study or socialise. And who or what you follow in every one of those different areas will be shaped by who or what you think can provide for you. And with that in mind, I've found Elijah's question incredibly challenging and sobering this week. Look at verse 21 of chapter 18. Elijah went before the people and said, how long, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Elijah's question, how long will you go back and forth between a pretend God and God? 
How long will you persist in trying to serve two gods? The, uh, the word waver here uh, is translated in other Bibles as um, limping, hopping. And so it's a picture of, of a person trying to sort of keep a foot in two camps, sort of hopping between two different gods, from one to another, back and forth. And Elijah says, how long are you going to stand there hopping? How long are you going to serve God and yet persist in serving Baal, serving idols? It's not too hard for us to work out the same question to us today, is it? How long are you going to serve God and and then serve your own comforts? How long are you going to serve God and then serve your own sexual lusts? How long are you going to serve God and then serve your own popularity? How long are you going to serve yourself and then give whatever's left to God? Elijah says to God's people back then and to us today, it's a simple question but it's a tough one, who are you going to follow? Who are you going to look for, for security, comfort and satisfaction? He says, it's time to stop hopping and decide. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Who you think God is will shape who you follow. And 1 Kings 18 is a chapter that's designed to get us asking that question, who is God? And we'll think about that part this week and partly next week. But let's, um, let's just take a step back and remember where we are in the narrative. In chapter 16, uh, we see that Ahab has become king, and he systematically tried to rid Israel, rid God's people of God. He has tried to kick out God. He's burnt down any sort of references to God, and in their place has set up altars to Baal, the so-called God of Jew and reign and fertility. And as a consequence, we read in the beginning of chapter 17 that God will now withhold from Ahab and Israel what Baal was supposed to provide. There will be no rain or dew on the land. There will be famine. Come with me to the beginning of chapter 18. Elijah disappeared for three years after making that announcement. And here at the beginning of chapter 18, he returns with a message from God for Ahab that the rain will return. Now the problem is, of course, if the rain just returns, then Ahab wouldn't credit God with that. He'd just think that finally Baal is being kind and providing rain, water. He'd think that Baal has finally come through for him. So before the rain returns, God needs to show Ahab that only he can provide. Baal needs to be publicly exposed as a fraud, a pretend God. And that is what happens in the second half of the chapter that we'll look at next week. In the first half of the chapter, what the writer of 1 Kings does is draw our attention to two contrasts, two different sets of contrasting attitudes. The first between Ahab and Obadiah, and the second between Ahab and Elijah. And on your back of your notice sheet, you've got a nice little flow diagram to hopefully help you follow along. 
So, first of them, let's think about Ahab and Obadiah. Now, we don't know a lot about Obadiah, but we do know what his name means. His name means servant of the Lord. And uh, it's quite an appropriate name. Look at verse 3. Obadiah had uh, an incredibly senior position in Ahab's kingdom. He was in, in charge of the palace. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Perhaps it was, it was sort of a prime minister type role. But what we do see here is that, a, that Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. And verse 4, his faith had meant that he'd taken a huge risk in order to protect God's people. Jezebel, Ahab's wife, was intent on killing all the prophets, all of God's prophets, God's mouthpiece in Israel. She was intent on wiping them out. And so Obadiah takes it upon himself to hide a hundred of God's prophets in a cave, two caves, and provide food and water for them. I mean, can you imagine how risky that would have been for Obadiah? If he'd have been caught, he would definitely have been next on Jezebel's hit list. As the famine situation worsens, Ahab and Obadiah set out different directions to try and find grass for their horses and mules. They're desperate. It's striking, isn't it, in this passage that Ahab and Jezebel care little for the lives of humans, but care deeply for the lives of their horses and their mules. Of course they do, because in their kingdom, it's not people that it's important, it's power. And horses and mules are a sign of power. So verse 7. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Oh, I mean, you can imagine the, the smile on Obadiah's face, can't you, when he, he sees that Elijah is back. Surely that can only be a good thing for him and for Israel. Well, yes and no. Yes and no, because what Elijah asked Obadiah to do is going to be pretty risky. It could be potentially very costly. Look at verse 9. What have I done wrong? asked Obadiah. That you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. And in verses 13 to 14, Obadiah sort of parades his faithful obedience as if to say, now why, given all I've done, why would you send me to my death? Why is Obadiah so fearful? Well, perhaps this will help. Some things are so serious that we have very little tolerance of them, don't we? Imagine you, um, you go through the airport security and imagine how the security guys will react if you jokingly say, oh, they are, put a bomb in my suitcase. It's not going to be treated as very funny, is it? They're really going to come down hard on you. When something's that serious, there's, there's no room for tolerance. And I think that's maybe a picture of how Ahab would have felt about any mention of Elijah 
This is the man who Ahab thinks has caused him three years of pain. And if Obadiah has seemed to be messing around, you know, now you see him, now you don't, with Elijah, Ahab's going to be so angry that Obadiah's probably going to be the fool guy. He knows he'll probably get killed. But Elijah promises Obadiah, he says, no, no, I'm back, I'm staying. Today I will present myself to Ahab. And so Obadiah goes off to tell Ahab Elijah's back. Now, why is this here? Well, I wonder if in in Ahab and Obadiah, we have then two contrasting lives. One lived following an idol, one lived following God. One lived a life craving power, a life characterized by self-service. Another lived a life characterized by self-sacrifice in the service of God. And with these examples in our heads, uh, this is the context for when Elijah says to God's people and to us, who will you follow? You can't worship the gods of Ahab and the God of Elijah. You have to make your choice. So who will you follow? Perhaps we, um, like I did last week off the back of Rob's sermon, you feel the challenge of that. You feel the, um, the, you the challenge to, to live for God, and yet we always manage to find excuses, don't we? Find a way of worming our way out. Find a way of sort of hopping from serving God to serving our idols. We say, oh, but you, just, you don't know how hard and difficult it is with my work colleagues. You don't know how hard it is to battle the temptation. You don't know how costly it will be to serve God at home or at work, or with my friends. You don't know what will happen to me if I, just, if I just follow God. The thing is, of course, Obadiah knew all of those things, didn't he? Uh, it's important to remember, Obadiah is not Elijah. Uh, Obadiah is not a sort of full-time paid Christian worker who preaches. Obadiah is an ordinary guy. Okay, admittedly, he has a senior role in the government. But he's an ordinary guy whose day job it is to serve a king. And he does that serving God. It's an ordinary behind-the-scenes type of job, like many of us do. And Obadiah knows how hard that can be. He works for a man and a wife who are intent in wiping out any trace of God in the entire land. A boss who's killing people in order to do that. Now, I know some of our situations are tough, but they're probably not as tough as that, are they? Obadiah knows that faithfulness to God, following God alone, could cost him his life. That's why he's pleased with Elijah not to send him back to Ahab. I mean, you can imagine in that situation, can't you, how easy it would have been for Obadiah just to be, oh, to take the easy route, to worship the idol. Because a more comfortable and easy life is on offer. A life where instant satisfaction and love are more easily attained. But despite the incredible challenges, Obadiah sacrificially serves 
and follows God. I think, why does he do that? How does he do that? Well, simply, I think, because he knows who is really God. And 1 Kings chapter 18 is designed to teach us the same lesson. God is really God. So again, Elijah asks us the question, who will you follow? Who or what is God in your life? That's Obadiah and Ahab. Let's now look at them, Ahab and Elijah. Look at verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? See, Ahab thinks that Elijah's actions are the cause of his problems. Ahab thinks that it's Elijah has meant the Baal is not favourable towards him. But that is about as far from the case as you could possibly imagine. Look at verse 18. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replies. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. The famine is Ahab's fault, no one else's. Ahab has abandoned the Lord's commands. He's failed to pay attention to God's word, and that is in stark contrast to Elijah. The prophet, the man who hears God's voice and speaks God's word. And again, this is the context before we get to Elijah's question to the whole of Israel where he says, who will you follow? Whose word will you trust? Who do you think knows best? You and your idols? Or God's? The answer wasn't obvious to Ahab. And so Elijah is going to ch- does challenge Baal to a contest in order to demonstrate who really is God's. And we'll, we'll look at that next week. It's a great passage. I think, though, for now, for this week, the trouble is that when it comes to following God, many of us don't want to follow God in a way that allows God to enter our space. Um, Dale Ralph Davies has written a brilliant commentary on 1 Kings. And uh, he likens the way we treat God to the way we treat a domesticated pet. Um, If you ask any of the Connect guys about our house, they'll tell you that one of the endearing features of life in the Dennis household is Mitzi the cat. And uh, Mitzi the cat is a dog in a cat's body. She is the sort of cat that won't leave you alone. She'll, particularly if you don't like cats, she'll come up to you and she'll be in your face and she'll nuzzle you and paw you. And if you've got your Bible open, she'll come and sit on your Bible as if to say, I'm more important. Mitzi the cat demands your attention. She gets in the way and quite often I end up finding myself just pushing her away, getting frustrated with her, pushing her away. Dale Ralph Davies says this. He says, if I am God's, he says... Follow me. Here is no tame God. He, we might say, keeps slopping over into my life, claiming it, invading it, refusing to allow me to put him in his religion box. 
We may prefer a God we have domesticated. We show him his deity litter and keep him in his place. But that is not the real God. You hear him in 1 Kings 18.21. And if you transpose that text into New Testament theology, you realise it does, permit, doesn't, does not permit nonsense like having Jesus as your saviour, but not as your Lord. See, God isn't a God that you can put in his bed. A God you can call upon when you're feeling down. God, God is Lord. And next week we'll see that demonstrated physically and spectacularly. The challenge is therefore do not abandon his commands and turn to idols. Whenever you feel like God is getting in the way, holding you back in some way, then there, brothers and sisters, that is your idol. Your idol's revealed just there. Whenever you find yourself pushing him away, pushing God or his commands away, or the wise biblical event, uh, advice from a Christian friend, and you find yourself pushing them away, there, my friends, you will find your idol. And so the question for us all this evening, and the question I've been wrestling with this week, is who will you follow? Whether or not you're a Christian or you're still exploring the Christian faith, the question is the same. Who will you follow? Because you can't keep hopping around. I've um, I found this passage particularly challenging because I thought about this this week. And um, I don't know about you, but... As I reflect on Elijah's challenge here in question, I feel slightly discouraged because I just don't think I can do this. Maybe that's how you feel. You think, I'm not sure it's possible to do what Elijah is asking me to do. Not hopping around and just following God alone it feels like a, a too big an ask because I can't do it. I mean, even the faithful Obadiah hops a bit, doesn't he? when he's faced with going back, knowing he could be killed, he, he gets a bit hoppy. Will he still follow God, God in that situation? You see, when what, we, when what God asks of his people feels like this, it just seems too big and too out of reach. You could say it's crushingly out of reach because we can never attain it which is, of course, why we need Jesus, isn't it? You see, Jesus is the, the king that Ahab was supposed to be, but fell so far short of. Jesus is the prophet who speaks into our world and calls us to follow him. Jesus is the one who says, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. But Jesus is the one who knows that we can never fully do that. Which is why Jesus comes to be the faithful servant king. He's the one that perfectly followed the Father's commands. The same commands that we abandon. He came to serve, not to be served. He came to give his life as a ransom 
for many. I, I've been challenged by this passage, and I want to encourage you that as you reflect on your inability to live out Elijah's challenge, I want to encourage you to throw yourself on the mercy and grace of Christ, the one who has perfectly followed where you haven't. And he does this so that though you don't deserve it, you might receive the security, the comfort, the satisfaction that idols offer and promise but don't deliver. The satisfaction, the comfort, the love that is only found in Christ. And it's only when, like Obadiah, you get a sense of those things, of who God is and what he's done, that you will be able to continue to strive to follow God and God alone. Let's pray. Why don't we take a moment just to reflect on Elijah's question. Perhaps we just need to begin to answer it in our heads just for a minute and then I'll pray. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Gracious God, loving Father, we thank you for that challenge to us this evening. And we repent of our desire to follow the Baals of our day, the idols. And so we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace. And by your spirit, we pray that you would help us to follow you, to follow you, to delight in Christ and to follow his commands. And we pray this in the name of your dear son who made all this possible. Amen.